I get a kid's cup. I love a kid's cup at a movie theater. Why? Because if I'm paying $35 for a movie, why do I want to have to skip the movie to be able to go to the bathroom? My stupid bladder, I do not want to pee because I don't want to miss any part of the movie that I pay. 35 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever. Like for a family of five to go to the movies now is like 60, 75, $2,000 kind of a feeling in my mind. That, that's just how it is. It's hard. And then you're like, I got to get the previews in and I got to get the full movie in and I got to get the credits now because there's always something at the end of the credits that you never want to skip. So I'm getting a kid's cup because no liquid going in is no liquid coming out and we're going to be good. And I say that because I believe that there's a group of people on a hillside, on a grass hole or whatever you want to call it, in a hot, on a hot sunny day, they were in the moment where they didn't want to miss a single, single word that Jesus was about to speak. They didn't want to miss it. They, they, this was different. This was incredible. This was a moment that they had never experienced in their life. This person, Jesus Christ, was healing and transforming and, and doing radical things that none of their Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law were doing. So in this moment, people were in awe, and they were like, I do not want to take a bathroom break. I want to experience it all. And there's a moment in this incredible Sermon on the Mount, we call it, this, this, this spot where Jesus begins to talk about uh, like judgment and condemnation and forgiveness. By the way, we're not talking about any of those things. But there's a word he begins to use in that very moment, and it's give. To give. That would have really grabbed the attention of every listener in that moment. Give. What does that word give mean? Because I don't have anything to give, and you're asking me to give. And I know contextually he is talking about judgment. Like if you uh, give judgment, you're going to get judgment back. In condemnation, you're going to get it back. And if you forgive, you're going to get it back. I get that. But I believe that the word give is laced through every single truth of the word of God. It is. I mean, you can't talk about marriage without the word give. You can't talk about sacrifice without the word give. You can't talk about finances without the word give. You can't talk about having a happy life without the word give. You have give in every facet and every truth out there. But culturally, give is a foreign concept, isn't it? It's like I'm speaking a different language to you and you can't comprehend and I can't comprehend. I relate us to two-year-olds. We're like two-year-olds. Have you ever experienced a two-year-old with a toy and there's another child that wants that toy? As a parent, they're holding that toy tight. And you say, hey, buddy, can you, can you share that toy? What does the two-year-old do? Yeah. yeah. But first, they cock their head like a dog. And then they look at their hand. They look at the kid. Look at their hand. Look at you. Look at the hand. No! Immediately, right? That is how they react. Like their brain on every single cylinder is smoking and burning up because their fingers are so locked. So their chubby little hand is like, this is my toy. It's human. It's human tendency to say, I want. It's all about me. I'm going to be this. I'm not going to extend and give. And then even if you say, well, I'm going to give you something, uh, that doesn't comprehend either. I'm still not going to give because, well, show me what you got. What are you going to trade me? And is it more valuable than the toy I'm about to give? 
and, and most likely I'm not even going to believe you. No, it's my toy. Mine, mine. My stuff is mine. My car is mine. My house is mine. My, my family's mine. And my money's mine. And my time is mine. My resources, my skills, my knowledge, everything is mine. Mine, 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 mine. So what? Here's the question I have. What's pulling the strings? What is pulling the puppet around? What, what, is, what is pulling it around? Because I believe that giving doesn't just naturally happen, and, and giving doesn't naturally occur, and giving just doesn't go on its own and do. So there's something that is pulling the string, something that's pulling it in tight, and, and something that is saying, uh, no, no, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep my, the cage of my fingers around that toy. I'm never going to let go. So what, what is it? that is pulling the strings to giving in your life, in my life. Well, it's the heart, isn't it? it? It's the heart. It's not something that is physically um, beating in your chest. It's not this bloody thing that is randomly sending blood and, and oxygen and everything else to all parts of your body. That's not what I'm talking about. The heart is the headquarters of who you are. It's the core of your being. It is where everything derives. It is your, your thought and your action and your emotion and everything that collides into one location inside. That's the heart. And I could bet you anything, you could tell a lot about a person based on their giving. You could tell a lot of where their heart is at based on how they give and, and what they give for and what they give to and what they give in every facet of life. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 17 verse 9 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That's a two-year-old. I knew it. Creepy little things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know why I'm picking on two-year-olds. They're sketchy, all of them. Look in the two-year-old's eyes, they're going to jump you and gnaw on your arm. Guaranteed. But deceitfulness, yeah. Well, I want to give. I want to be generous. I want to love. I want to care. No, no, the human heart by nature, natural inclination says, no, I'm not going to extend. I'm going to keep for myself. And is that the heart of God? No, that is not the heart of God in any way. The heart of God says, I, I, I'm going to be loving and I'm going to care and I'm going to give, 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 give. That is the heart of God. God, see, God modeled it first, didn't he? You look at creation. Genesis chapter 1, you look at the creation of everything that, that he had made. God is a giving God. Not only did he give animals and sky and, and air and sunlight and land and plants and food and everything like that. He goes as far as to give his thoughts and his creativity and his imagination and his time and his, and his all in. And if you go, go even farther beyond giving man... He says, man shall not live alone. Man shall not be alone. He gives woman. And on top of that, he doesn't just have them co-mingle side by side, just barely doing anything together, maybe just as a, a natural work relationship. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you know, I'm going to give them into marriage and I'm going to give them the opportunity to be responsible with my children, the people that are going to be in heaven with me and eternity, I'm giving them that responsibility. And then I'm going to give them the responsibility to teach people the ways of Jesus Christ. He gives. He, 
He is an incredible, amazing giver. And if you say, you know what? Well, you might say he gave you shelter and food and clothing and money and all these other things and children or whatever. Well, I don't have anything. I could guarantee you have a treasure. Guaranteed. God has given you a treasure. My 10-year-old has a drawer full of treasures. Empty gum wrappers and suckers half-eaten and uh, paper clips and randomness, cards, you name it. It is all collected in his top drawer of his dresser. That is his treasure box. A boy has a treasure box. Every boy has a treasure box. That is his treasure box, and God still gave that to him. And you might call it junk. It's not junk to him. So God has given everything to us, and if we love him, shouldn't our hearts be like his? Uh, do, you, do you think that's, that's true? If we love him and we believe in him, shouldn't our hearts be like his? Yeah. It's actually a requirement. It's a requirement. Look at Deuteronomy, old school book, chapter 10. By the way, we're going to be in Deuteronomy the whole time here. Not in chapter 10, but this is chapter 10 first. So if you go to Deuteronomy, uh, page 247.5, minus two pages. Um, I don't know what page it's in your Bible. Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel, everybody, so he's not just talking Israel, he says everybody, everybody. What does the Lord God require from you? It first says, but fear and worship the Lord your God. Fear and worship... There is a scared, like, I think that we in the church world have gone so far to say that fear only represents uh, respect and reverence towards God. That is true, but I do believe you should have a scared, holy fear for God. Because he is God, I am not. I'm just a human that deserves death and destruction. He is God. But he's saying, fear, respect me, revere me, praise, honor, glorify me. That is required if you believe in me. And then he says, to walk, this is to live each day and every day in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. To serve God with all your heart means to be transformed in the heart. To be transformed, to be changed. Your heart should desire to want the things of God. And in Colossians, it actually says, being renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I am called every day to be renewed like him and to desire him and to care about him. Natural tendency says no. So, so where does the transformation come from? Uh, timeout. Let me call a timeout real quick. Where does the transformation come from? It comes from his Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit. John 14 says he's the counselor. He's the help. He's the advisor. He's the mentor. He's the coach. He is the very precious Holy Spirit of God himself coming and indwelling in you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You immediately get the Holy Spirit into your life the minute that you profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. When you give him all of your life and you believe in him with everything that you have, you receive his spirit who then begins to chisel away your heart. Chisel away. And John 14 says he teaches you. He directs you. He reminds you what Jesus says. And so how is my heart supposed to be transformed? Well, I need to begin to listen to him. I need to read his word, and I need to say, Holy Spirit, implant this truth into my heart. Chisel it, tape it, duct tape it, staple it, glue it, whatever, so that I never leave the vine, which is Jesus. 
I need to be a branch that is always stuck. And the glue is the Holy Spirit who binds me to the Christ, the son of the living God. But God's heart gives in ginormous ways, huge ways. You can't discount that. I could guarantee if you look outside right now, even if you don't believe in God, you know that God exists. And he says that in Romans, you can just visibly look and see that there is a living God. So, so that means that we should have a giving heart, right? We should have a giving heart. And that's what today <clears throat> is really about. We need to possess a, a giving heart inside of us. We need to have this in us. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to have a heart of giving. In Deuteronomy, it's an interesting book because at this point, um, the people leave Egypt. If you know the story, these, these slaves, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they leave Egypt and they see all these signs and wonders and miraculous things that are going on. They hear the voice of the Lord and um, they get to a place where God's like, okay, I'm going to now give you uh, cities and buildings and crops and animals and everything that you possibly need to become a rich, rich, amazing civilization, I'm going to give you. There's just one thing you got to do. March over there and overtake the people that are there. And they don't do it, right? Which blows my mind. How do you not do this? You just saw God's work in Egypt. And here's where I get really, I, I question this. Like, how do you not understand? How do you not believe that God, because God also says, I will go before you. I will take them out before you. How do you not believe that that's to be true? When you see a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in front of you all the time. Did you know that? It says by day, there was a pillar of cloud. Think of like a tornado going before you that doesn't consume you, pull you in, or destroy anything of you, only what is going ahead, and actually blocks the sun to give you shade so that you don't wear out on this journey. And then at night, you got this massive pillar of fire. Think of like a bonfire times a thousand blowing up into the sky. Hey, it's more Saturday. Let's roast some olives. Let's have fun. As well as it is guiding and directing and giving you light for the evening. The hand of God was there. They said, no, I don't, I don't want that. Let's go back to Egypt where we think it's better. So then all of a sudden they have to go wander through the desert for 40 years where everyone above the age of 21 um, died. Oh, you can drink alcohol. Now you're dead. Sorry. <laughs> dead, gone, boom. So all of a sudden you have these kids that grow up into adults over this 40-year period. And so Deuteronomy is a book where it's, it's now a a retelling of the law and a retelling of what God desires and of what God wants to do. He, he's now telling his children. I relate it to this. It's like moms. Moms, every day you go to your kid and you say, hey, honey, respect the teacher today. Hey, hon, be good. Be nice. Did you do that, Kelly? Every day. Every day. Savannah? I tell her, don't burn the place down. Don't. Yeah, that, see? <laughs> don't, there, there's things you always remind your kids. Every day, this is what you're supposed to do. It's a con continual reminder. Kids need reminders. Adults, we need reminders. We always forget. And we assume we know, but we don't actually know. And so he wants to remind them of what to do. And so we get to a place that I, I love because throughout this whole book of law and book of, of what God wants to do, he has a section on giving, which tells me that God has a massive heart forgiving. And we're going to go look at this because I believe that we need to have a heart of giving. You ready? 
chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15. We desire for God to transform our hearts so that we loose the strings and allow giving to flow freely rather than always pull giving in. Verse 8 says this, do not, <laughs> do? No, do not be hard-hearted, tight-fisted towards them, those in need. Everybody in need. Don't be hard-hearted, tight-fisted. Instead, be generous and give to them whatever they need. So let's, let's chew on this. Let's dissect this like, like, you remember in biology where you cut open the frog and you have to get in there to see and point out all the heart, liver, all that stuff? We're going to dissect into this. Bless you. He first starts out and says, do not be hard-hearted, tight-fisted. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of selfishness, right? It's a selfish heart. When we're hard-hearted, we are selfish. We only desire the things of us. And he expands on this in verse 9. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse, bless you, someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. What he's saying is, man, the year of canceling debts. So God instituted this law, and I think this is an incredible law. I think the U.S. could easily, if we established this law, poverty would not exist in our country. So every seven years, debts were canceled, wiped clean, because he desired for his people, Israel, to thrive and, and be rich, not just financially, but be rich in every way and not always feel the mound of debt weighing you down and making you depressed and making you stressed and anxious, but he allowed freedom there. And all of a sudden he's saying, because the year for canceling debts is close at hand, here's how we get selfish. We get selfish when we're like, well, it's three months to canceling debts. If I give Johnny a thousand dollars, I could guarantee I'm not going to get my money back. So that's a, that is not a good financial investment for me. So I'm not going to give to him. That's, that's taking your finances or whatever you've got and holding it tightly to the chest to say, no, it's mine. Unless I get a return on my investment, ROI, or greater investment, I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to hold it tightly. And what that does, selfishness, focuses on the getting, not the giving. Well, what do I get out of it? What, what do I get? If I give to you, what's, what's my return? I, I love this in the church world. So many people, I, I've been in ministry for over 18 years at different churches. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, well, what do I get out of it? If I give to your building campaign or if I give my tithe on the week, well, what do I get? Do I get a comfy, lazy boy chair with a cup holder and a, a butt warmer and a vibrating back piece? And I want the worship the way that I want it. And you got to play the songs that I remember when I was a kid. And I need to be on your elder board if I'm going to give money. What do I get out of it? So many people in the Christian world have the assumption that if they give money to the church, or an organization, or to their neighbor, they deserve their opinion to be heard and fulfilled in every way. What is that? Selfishness, isn't it? When we focus on the getting, that is a selfish heart. That is a selfish desire in every single way. But giving works selfishness out of us. 
It gives you freedom. And I'll give you an example. When, um, when Liz and I, uh, this was probably 10 years ago. She'd probably give you a different uh, span of time. But I remember we were down and out financially. I remember this. She was a stay-at-home mom. I was on a pastor's salary, which youth pastor's salary, which is nothing. And I remember we got to the point where we needed food boxes, which that's super humbling to receive food from other people or receive clothing from other people or receive help from other people. We get super prideful. We never want help from anybody most of the time. We needed food boxes. And I remember going into my office one day, and there was an envelope on my desk. And I opened it up, and it was money. And I was stoked. I was so excited. I was like, we desperately need this money. And I, in my natural self, just clung to that, pulled it in tightly, gripped it, and said, it is mine. It is ours. And I thanked God in the moment, but I said, it's mine. And I remember going home, and I wanted to share with Liz. I'm like, Liz, this... God blessed us. God hooked us up. She gets a smile on her face and says, I know exactly who this money's for. And I'm like, yeah, it's us, right? She's like, nope. Seriously? She's like, I know who this money's for, and it's not for us. Somebody else needs it more than us. I'm like, we don't have food. It's not for us. And I, I went, and I prayed hard. I'm like, God, change her heart. Change that woman I live with change her heart because this money is ours and we need it. And God said, nope, the money's not for you. You're just the middleman. And here's how amazing that is. How freedom really came about in that moment. When we gave that money, there's so much trust in God when you just give things away. There's so much faith in God when you're just like, here, God, take it. Do whatever you want with it. Because if I truly believe in everything that you are and everything you've done, and I believe in your words that say that, that you will never let me fall to the ground, you will always take care of me. And it says that, you know, dads, human dads will give good gifts, but you know what? They're horrible gifts compared to the gifts that the father gives. That's trust. That's faith. That's hope in him to say that, you know what? We didn't need that money in the moment, and he took care of us. Even if it was from a food box, he still took care of us. Giving, by the way, is, God doesn't need it. God doesn't need your stuff. God doesn't need your money, doesn't need your time, doesn't need your skills. He doesn't need any of it. You know what giving is for? Giving's for you. It's to change your heart. That's what it is. When I open up my chubby two-year-old little hand, and give the toy, that's a freeing thing. That's a freeing thing. See, selfishness attacks on the front end of giving. It keeps you from giving. You, there's another hard-hearted, tight-fisted thing that happens on the back end of giving. Look at verse 10. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. Grudgingly means grieve. That's still a hard heart when you give, but then all of a sudden you feel shame and you feel sadness and you feel heartache and you feel anger and you feel bitterness and you feel resentment and you even wonder, why did I give in the first place? That is still a hard heart. It is. You could give all you want. Do not give grudgingly. Do not give in with a grievance. 
to say, you know what, I'll give. I don't want to. That's not a right heart. That's not. That, that's, I mean, on top of that, you have, you have an enemy, Satan, who compounds those feelings inside of you that wags his little finger and tells you, hey, by the way, um, why'd you give, you idiot? Now you don't have money to pay your bills. It's usually how it goes down, right? Well, I, I should have just kept it for myself. I should have done the things that, that I needed to do with it. You know, maybe I needed, because I'm feeling pain, maybe I needed to pay my bills and send my family on vacation and do the things that I wanted to do and, and buy myself whatever I want. And then, you know what, I will give the, the rest of it and then maybe I'll feel better. I won't feel grieved. That is not the right heart. God says to give. And why do we grieve about money? Anyways, why do we grieve about it? Pay attention to this very closely. You ready for it? You thought the money was yours. <laughs> it's not. The money's not yours. My money, my car, my house, my wife, my kids, my clothes, my ridiculous golden doodle dog that needs to be shaved because her mats are horrible right now. <laughs> Everything I got is not mine. It's not mine. It's his. It's God's. It doesn't belong to me. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means that everything is God's. Everything will always be God's. And you know what he does? He just says, hey, I'm just going to let you hold it for now. Use some of it if you need it. But when I want you to give it, when I want you to uh, put it in, in this place or with this person, please do it. When we realize that the money or the resources or the skills and the passions that we have even, because by the way, giving isn't just money. We always think just financially. Oh, the church is after my money. No, God doesn't need your money. God will use your money. Doesn't need it. But giving is money, resources, and stuff, and skills and abilities that, that he's placed inside of you. But when we realize that it is now our, ours, ours, we don't grieve over it, do we? Do you, would you grieve over um, somebody who lost $1,000? No, you, you'd be like, man, dude, that, that stinks. But because it's not yours, you're not going to grieve over it. So why grieve over the things that are in your bank accounts or in your house? Because it's not yours. It's not. It's not. We got to shift it. We got to shift uh, Deuteronomy, like I said, it says, do not be hard-hearted, tight-fisted, but instead be generous to all that, is, that are in need, right? So that means we got to be generous. Well, i got to be generous. Verse 14, you shall supply him generously from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. Let me stop there for a second. Flock, threshing floor, wine press. What's the commonality here? Contextually, these people needed those things. Animals meant life. Not, not just financial uh, growth for them, but also for food, sustainability. And then threshing floor, grain, harvest, that was valuable. And wine was valuable back then. That was a necessity that they needed to thrive. So, so these things are of value. They're, they're valuable. They're strong. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Meaning, give the things that are valuable. 
not the leftovers and the junk. Because that's usually what we do. Like I said, we always pay our bills and we always do everything that we want to do. And then we say, then I will give God my money. Well, what, why are we giving the leftovers? Well, you know, this month I didn't, I only had five bucks and, and that's not enough. That's not a tithe. Or you know what, I, I'm exhausted because I chose to go to the gym and I chose to go to the movies, so I'm not going to give my time to help somebody move down the street. And you know, I'm not going to let somebody borrow my car because they might break it. I remember I let a guy borrow our car one time. He lost my keys somehow at Circle K. And, but what I loved about that is there's so much freedom in that. Like I said... That's not my car. Who cares? I had another set. And then God gave us the money to buy two more keys because they're chip keys. And of course, that costs hundreds of dollars for some reason. <laughs> but God, did God give us his leftovers? No. Imagine with me, get creative. What if God gave us the leftovers, the junk of creation? <laughs> How jacked up would we look? Uh, I'm going to give you a tree arm over here because I'm just not going to pour my time and energy into creating you as an individual human. So I'm going to just put you with tree limbs and, and animal hooves and, and, and you're going to be part water, part sky, part sun and all the amalgamation. That's the word of the day, I guess. Amalgamation. Collection. Group of things to make you. And then what if he cloned all of us? No, God didn't do that. God gave you the most valuable time and energy and effort to create you individually to where your fingerprint is different from everybody else, your hair pattern, everything of your body is completely different than the person next to you and all of the billions of people on this planet. And even the ones that are to come, not even trees look the same. Like you play a video game or a movie, everything of the background is just clones of everything else. That's not with us. He said, no, I'm not going to make the clouds exactly the same every single day for thousands of years. Forget that. It's going to be individual. And on top of that, you know what the best thing? He gave his only begotten son for us. That's not the leftovers. He gave himself the most valuable, precious thing in the world, person in the world. He gave. He gave generously, and God calls us to give generously all of the time. Here's what we need to say. We just every day just need to say, Lord, what do you want me to give today? What, who do you want me to give to? Show me as I go through my day. Who do I give to and what do I give? And you know what our answer needs to be once it happens? Don't question it. You just need to say, awesome. That's a great idea, God. Thank you. Thank you for using me. Thank you for, for giving this to me. You gave to me that I could help somebody else out. It might be a homeless person on the street, or it might be my neighbor, or it could be the richest person in town. Who knows? But I'm called to give. I need to give generously. And you know what generosity, the heart of gener generosity instills in you? It develops gratitude, a grateful heart. Are we grateful? Verse 15 says, this is the last thing. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. You shall remember. When I remember what God's done in my life, 
Seriously, think about it. I was a slave. I was a slave to addictions. I was a slave to substance. I was a slave to people. I was a slave to the rat society. I was a slave to everything of our culture and the idea that I need to be popular or an influencer or this or that, or I need to have the perfect uh, kids and I need to have the perfect job and I need to have the perfect lifestyle. It reminds me of uh, uh, Fun with Dick and Jane where he's trying to keep up with everybody in his neighborhood. Like he has to have a BMW because everybody has to have a BMW and he has to have a nice sod lawn because everybody else has a sod lawn. <laughs> but no, man, I owe everything and you owe everything to him. And because I need to remember that, please remember that. When you remember that you owe everything to him and everything that you have is his, you will give away everything. I even just read about a pastor earlier this week that gave away like his retirement and gave away his four, uh, all of his 401k and investment stocks and, and gave away um, his house and gave away his car. I'm like, dude, how are you doing this? You're nuts. And I've heard of that from other people too, not just people in ministry, but there's people, there's some seriously generous people out there. And it's because I think they realize that, you know what? I owe everything to him. He is God. I am not. And it's all his. When I go down to the grave, it's just going to turn to dust. It's like ridiculous hummers that never go off road. Why, why, why do I collect things in bank accounts? And I know what we get scared in, in our minds. I know that I do. Every now and again, I all of a sudden freeze up and say, no, we need to keep the money just in case of an emergency. And Liz has to like slap me across the face. No, she doesn't slap me. She punches me in the stomach. <laughs> but I got to snap out of it. Even with this church, our, our bank account with this church, it's okay. And if we go to zero, we're still okay. If we go to the negative, God will cancel it somehow. I believe it. I just got to trust him. And we need to make investments to grow our community and grow our family and desire for people to be known by God and known by others, primarily known by God. I will spend thousands upon thousands or millions upon millions so that people know the message of Jesus Christ. And what they do with it is up to them. I am just called to voice it. We all are. And we're also called to pull people in and say, hey, I love you. I care about you. Come have dinner with me tonight. Even if it's 2 a.m., IHOP's open. Let's go have cheap coffee and a piece of pie. Actually, it's Village Inn. They have better pie. <laughs> Let's have a giving heart, please. It's one of our values. We want to give in mighty, ginormous ways. Our time, our money, our stuff. I want everybody in this surprise metro phoenix metro area to see us as a little mini church plant that is the most giving place in the world not for our glory please don't skew it as that but they can say you know what god is working god is working and and they owe him everything and we owe him everything so we're going to give it all to him let me pray god thank you for speaking thank you for moving Thank you for doing all. We love you. I pray we have a giving heart. I pray we stop being scared. 
and holding on so tightly those toys of ours and our stuff and our families. And we open up to say, God, use us in whatever way you want. Use us in whatever way you want, even with the babies here. I pray that they grow up into kids who have a sold-out passion and desire. I pray for all of our children. I pray that they are sold out every single day of their lives for Jesus Christ. I pray that they give generously. They love wholeheartedly. They tell the message of Jesus Christ to every person. And I pray that they never fall into addiction. They, they, I pray that they never fall into substance. I pray that they never fall into experimentation. I pray that they never fall into the culture that is so skewed and so broken and so dumb in so many ways. But I pray that our children grow up in this messed up world as lights for Jesus Christ and they go out and transform their schools, their families, their neighborhoods. Give them health too. It's scary being a parent when your kids are sick. And I pray that you give them health. And when they are sick, I pray that you give us strength and patience and understanding to know what to do and how to take care of them. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.